Well, I thought uh, today uh, we would uh, take a look at this uh, at the Torah portion for today. We will be continuing our study of our doctrinal statement, but um, uh, you know we've had um, a number of guests uh, over the over the uh, last month of counting the Omer, and then uh, some exciting things coming up in July. And so I thought that for right now, anyway, uh, at least this week, uh, and perhaps next, we'll take a look at the the uh, the Torah portion. We will be having our uh, our Torah study uh, uh, later this afternoon because this Torah portion is filled with uh, a tremendous um, with uh, uh, tremendous insights. And so uh, this is uh, uh, the Torah portion where the, uh, the selected leaders of the tribes go to the land, right? Uh, and uh, as, as the text says in English anyway, spy it out, uh, check it out, uh, and to uh, uh, come back with a report. So as it says in the very beginning, uh, in uh, uh, Numbers chapter 13, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader, uh, every one a leader of uh, among them. And so uh, that's what they do. Now, if you go down to verse 17, it says, when Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev and then into the hill country and see what the land is like, whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few uh, or uh, many. And how is the land in which they live? Is it, is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? And how is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe uh, grapes. Notice that in all of the directions, by the way, uh, this is great text for like a leadership retreat. He gave them clear directions on what it is that they needed to do. It wasn't just go check out the land and come back. You know, clear directions. Oh, love that stuff. If only I could learn it. It'd be great. Okay? All right. Uh, but notice what he doesn't ask them. He never asks them their opinion as to whether they should take the land. He does not ask them, should we possess the land? This is all about preparation for possessing the land. So uh, that is uh, just uh, by way of observing the text that uh, God had already promised them this land. He had told them, commanded them, that this was uh, why they were leaving Egypt. If you go all the way back, you know, to Exodus chapter 6, when they were still uh, in Egypt, in verse 8 of uh, Exodus 6, and I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to, your, to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So there was no question as to their purpose. 
in coming out of Egypt and being at Sinai that their mission was to get to the land. Okay? And so now, where they're at, they have not actually, to them, their wilderness experience was leaving Egypt and getting to Kadesh Barnea, in that in the area where Mount Sinai is. Uh, that was, for them, the wilderness wanderings. Lasted a short time. Now, they're a short distance, and they're going to make their way uh, to the land. But a funny thing happened on the way to uh, Eretz uh, Yisrael. So they go, and, uh, and, they, uh, and they come back, and you see in verse 25, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. This is the good news. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people. In other words, they're saying, you know, they're going to overtake us. There's no way. And so now Caleb quiets the people. And he says, uh, quiets the people before Moses and says, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers. Uh, in our sight. And so we were uh, in their sight. Okay, so here we see uh, the people uh, have the bad report. And they look at the circumstances around them, and they come to the conclusion that there is no way that we will be able to possess the land. Notice verse 33. Verse 33 says something, we have to read it carefully uh, to get what it's saying. The last phrase, we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So in other words, they saw themselves, the way they understood themselves, their own identity, as like grasshoppers, because they looked around them, and it seemed like you know, everything else being equal, there's no way that we can do this. So what were they omitting? They were omitting the promise of God. They were omitting the calling to which God had called them. And so they were simply uh, looking at their surroundings. And so by looking at their surroundings, by looking at their circumstances, things 
looked very pessimistic, right? Uh, because perhaps it was true that the people are big and they are fortified. And who are we? We just came out of Egypt and we're, you know, what do we have? How are we ever going to, uh, uh, to defeat them? And so they had this uh, defeatist attitude. They had this attitude like they were still enslaved in Egypt. That's why later on they'll say, uh, oh, why did we ever leave Egypt and let you bring us out here? Right? Uh, and so this uh, was um, uh, a, a dilemma uh, for them. All right? Okay, now in chapter 14, we see the people grumbled and, you know, they wanted to go back to Egypt and so on. But now... Uh, we see in verse 6 of chapter 14, And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, right? In, in mourning, uh, they tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. You know, the word exceedingly, there's no word exceedingly in Hebrew. And so it says, ma'od, ma'od, very, very good. Tova, ma'od, ma'od. I think it says, uh, you know, well, I won't even t- take a chance. But anyway, ma'od, ma'od, uh, you know, very, very good land. Okay? If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and will give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And so here they hear this message uh, of hope, of uh, recognizing that, of remember who you are. Uh, remember that if God is pleased with us, he will bring us uh, into this land, a land flowing with uh, milk and honey. honey. Only do not uh, rebel and do not fear uh, the people. Now, uh, there's a lot that we could, uh, we could say about all of this. Of course, what's going to happen, if you read the rest of the chapter, you know uh, that uh, uh, God uh, says, enough is enough. I'm done with this people. And just like at, uh, just like at the golden calf, I'm, I'm, I'm done with you, and I'll, let's start over again with you, Moses. And again, Moses says, no, uh, this is the testimony. He didn't bring us into this wilderness to, uh, you know, to, uh, to let us die. That would be uh, uh, a, a horrific uh, testimony. That's what we read here in verse uh, 13. Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it, for thy strength and thy, thou dost bring this people from their midst. And uh, they will tell it to their inhabitants, to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, uh, are seen eye to eye, while thy cloud stands over them. And thou dost go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of cloud uh, by night. If thou, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations will have heard, heard of thy fame, and say, because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath. Therefore, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. And so, just like at, uh, you know, at the foot of uh, Sinai there with the golden calf, uh, uh, Moses says, no, Lord, you know, uh, stick with the program, so to speak. 
And so we read then uh, uh, this reminder, the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, uh, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of thy loving kindness, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt unto now. And so God indeed does forgive, uh, but there is a price indeed to pay. And the price is, is that God would wait. The people would have to wait, basically wait in the wilderness until that entire generation died. And that took another 38 years. And so they kind of went around in circles. They just sort of went around in circles for a really long time until the generation died off. You know, many, many more people would be born. And then uh, they went into the land. Uh, and, uh, and so there certainly are, uh, you know, many great lessons for us to learn here. Uh, we learn here that certainly... Uh, when we look at our people, first starting there, we like to jump to what does it mean to me right away, you know? But uh, before we get to what does it mean to me uh, uh, right now, what does it mean to our people? What does this mean to the Jewish people today? I mean, think about it. Boy, I, you know, as I was uh, thinking about it, um, of course, I'm drawn to, those, to the great lessons we learn about our own walk with God and, and so on. But there's so much happening. Uh, well, there's always a lot happening with Israel, but there's a lot happening right now. It's just on a lot of levels, a lot of things brewing. Um, you know, in, in Israel, you, uh, of course, you have this new uh, unity, uh, Palestinian government, and, and now you have these uh, skirmishes taking place, and Everything is like uh, being uh, somewhere in California when it hasn't rained for about eight months and someone's like smoking a cigarette. You know, that's what it feels like uh, uh, a, a lot of the time, that, that this is an accident waiting to happen, right? And so when we think about it, and you think about the, the whole uh, the history of our people in the land and, you, and just the great difficulties uh, of it, uh, and on top of that, you, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, spiritual issues going on. And, uh, and, and so uh, what, is, what does a passage like this mean uh, to us, you know, as a people, uh, when we think about uh, Eretz uh, Yisrael? Well, I suppose the first thing uh, is uh, that... Um, God has called us to this land. It's like whether we like it or not, God has called us to this, to this land, to Eretz Yisrael, to the land of, uh, to the land of Israel. And you know, I, I was uh, talking to uh, uh, Jason just uh, the other day about this, and it's fascinating when you think about it, uh, because if you read the history of the formation of the state of Israel, it was not religious people, Okay who formed the state of Israel. It was not religious people. People with all kinds of interesting political viewpoints and, and so on. And as a, a, a people, uh, there was a, a need for a homeland and a particular way of establishing it and so on. And you know the, uh, you know the, the famous stories of, you know, Uganda was a, a possibility and, and so on. But you know what's 
in a way, stranger than that, that people who did not necessarily believe in Moses and not necessarily believe that God uh, uh, literally made a promise about this land were convinced that that's the land that should be the Jewish homeland. Perhaps what the, 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 the uh, uh, great miracle is, is that they did not settle for Uganda or somewhere else, but that land. And you know, there's an old, uh, old messianic song. We, don't, we haven't sung this song in, uh, in ages. It's an old liberated wailing wall song, right? And it goes, the heart of a Jew is Jerusalem. That's how it starts. And, uh, and, and that's really uh, interesting. I thought about that when we were uh, having that conversation. That whether, it's like, it's in, in the neshama, you know? It's in the soul. It's, 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 it's not based on, uh, this is my uh, doctrinal statement. Uh, this is my theology. But there is an affinity between uh, that land, that little postage stamp uh, piece of land, and the Jewish people around the world. Um, there are very few Jewish people who would say that the land is completely irrelevant to who I am. There are many more people who might say things are really wrong there and, we, and Israel needs to be doing things in an entirely different way and, and I don't like it and, you know, lots of voices of dissent. That's also in the neshama of our people. Um, but uh, that there is this affinity of the land because it's part of the covenant uh, relationship. That part of the calling of Israel is to dwell in this land. Not necessarily just, it's not like, I just love you, so I'm giving you this land and, and it's yours, okay? No, it's part of the calling uh, of the Jewish people to dwell in that land, like it or not, right? To ultimately dwell in the land. And the Bible says that ultimately from the north and the south and east and the west, uh, all of uh, Israel uh, will indeed uh, return. But uh, uh, the, the problem is, is that ultimately, in order for everything to work the right way, there has to be a trust in God and a, re and a reliance on the promise of God. Remember what I said, uh, uh, must have been a couple of weeks ago, uh, now, uh, yes, I was on Shavuot, uh, about uh, how uh, God entered into a marriage relationship with the Jewish people at Sinai, right? Uh, and it was like Moses was officiating, and the ketubah was uh, the commandments on, on stone, and how you read, uh, we know what happened, you know, the, the golden calf happened, uh, but you read in Jeremiah chapter 31 when God uh, promises the new covenant there. Uh, he says, uh, not like the covenant that I made with you uh, when I brought you by the hand and led you out of the land of Egypt, a covenant which you broke, although I was a husband to you, uh, declares uh, the Lord. And so what we said on Shavuot was, well, you see, we got off to a bad start. It's been a rocky marriage. It's been a rocky relationship. It's still a relationship still a covenant relationship. Uh, but rebellion uh, continues to plague us. And ultimately, that is why there's such a headache 
so many uh, problems, so many, so many uh, issues. It's interesting that in the, uh, what's called the Musaf Amidah for holidays, the, it's called the additional service uh, for holidays, in the uh, Amidah there, which would be read on Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot, uh, it says here, but because of our sins, we have been exiled from our land and sent far from our soil. It's, it's fascinating that uh, just, uh, uh, you know, a few days ago, uh, this uh, particular part of the Amidah was uh, read uh, by Jewish people around the world. But because of our sins, uh, we have been exiled from our land and sent from our soil. I will tell you that uh, there is a belief uh, uh, among Jewish people that, I mean, pe- Jewish people who have a spiritual sense, you know, uh, not just your lox and bagel Jewish people, you know what I mean? You know, I can say that. You know what I'm talking about, right? But people that, that really believe in the destiny of the Jewish people and believe in Moses and, and so on would say we're still in exile. Even though we're in the land, we're still in exile. And we'll remain in exile. Even though we have the land of Israel, we're still in exile. And we'll be in exile until the Messiah comes. This is a belief, I will say, of, uh, uh, you know, of Orthodox Jews. That we are in exile until the Messiah comes. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's true in the sense of until we recognize the Messiah. Right? That um, uh, God has indeed made a promise to us. But sadly, uh, kind of like uh, uh, our people here at uh, uh, Kadesh, uh, there is a denial of the promise. And so we wander in the wilderness. Now, yes, uh, uh, God has indeed uh, brought us uh, to the land. But as the remnant of Israel, our calling is to proclaim the whole story. That yes, we are in the land, but God's uh, trajectory for us is far beyond simply being in the land, but to embrace uh, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. And that in him there is personal peace, in him there is personal deliverance and, and salvation, and in him there is national deliverance and salvation. Look, if you would, in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Okay, and, uh, you know, the father of uh, Yohanan, the father of John, uh, Zacharias. Okay, you know that uh, he couldn't talk for a long time, but then his mouth opened, right? Uh, And this is what he had to say, beginning in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. He's talking about Yeshua here. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Let's stop there. The coming of Yeshua 
was yes to, to, uh, uh, to uh, forgive our sins, to atone for our sins, and to give us eternal life. But that's part of a larger story. It's not by itself, okay? It's, it, it's in a particular context. God sent Yeshua into this world to die for our sins and to be raised from the dead. Uh, as it says, if you look in the, uh, in the next chapter of Luke, <laughs> since we're in the neighborhood, in verse 32, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He came in a, in a larger context to restore Israel and to be a light of revelation to Gentiles, to, to the nations. All with the idea that the world is going to be transformed, not just when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, but that the world would be transformed. He came to inaugurate, to start this process, see? And so when we embrace Yeshua, we become part of this process and we see the world uh, uh, differently. But when Yeshua came, it was for the purpose of just like, just like Zacharias here says, redeeming us as a people, as Jewish people from our enemies. These quoting passages from the Tanakh that have to do with the redemption of Israel. And so when Yeshua came, he came to restore the people to the land. He came to uh, uh, bring peace in this world. He came uh, to bring unity among peoples. He came that uh, there might be a new heaven and a new earth. But it begins, he began with a few. But you see, just like in the book of Numbers, it's not until we, when we embrace uh, the Lord that all of this takes place. Now, we read in, in a passage like that you may be familiar, like um, in Zechariah uh, chapter 12, a great promise uh, of what is going to take place. And I, in verse 10, you, you may know this, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look upon me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. They shall recognize him. You see, it all takes place, so to speak, at once. The Lord returns all of Israel recognizes Yeshua as the Messiah, fulfills this calling of embracing the Messiah, and then there is indeed peace. Isn't that what Paul says in the New Covenant in Romans uh, chapter 11? In verse 12, Now if, if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. And as much then as I'm an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Israel's fulfilling her calling is an integral part of God's plan for this whole world. And so when Yeshua came, his desire uh, was... Uh, certainly the redemption of the land, but, and just like the, uh, the uh, disciples of Yeshua asked him, just before he ascended to uh, the right hand of the Father, 
in uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, they asked him, is it this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And Yeshua doesn't say, no, no, you got it all wrong. The joke's on you. No, he says, not yet. It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so, yes, that is why he came. But our people need to embrace Yeshua to really be able to uh, milk the marrow of the promise of God. God's promise is not simply being in the land and, uh, and having enemies all around. God's promise is being in the land and being at peace all around and, and worshiping with God in, in our midst and, and rejoicing and really experiencing the land of milk and honey. That's the vision of the Torah. That is indeed the promise. Yes, God has brought us uh, into uh, uh, the land, but there is a real need for us as a people to embrace Yeshua. And there is a need for all of the people, you know, uh, not only in the Middle East, but all around the world, in the Ukraine and in Russia and Crimea and uh, uh, in Africa and uh, in Asia and all over the world. Yeshua is the answer to all the world's problems. It sounds very, uh, it sounds very surfacey, but it's true. Think of it this way. If you look at the fruit of the Spirit in uh, uh, Galatians 5, in verse 22, and you compare it to the deeds of the flesh in verse 19, 20, and 21, and think of all of the problems, every, anything you think of in this world, don't they fall into this category? The deeds of the flesh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. You name it. You name the ill of this world, and it can find a category here. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and things like these. If the world lived by these values, the world would be a very different place. So it's not just about me and how am I feeling today and am I living this out? It does include that if, because the world is filled with people. But in the grand scheme of things, this is what Messiah came to do. And this indeed is what he will do. You see? Because that's why uh, Yeshua rose from the dead. It's to make this world a different place. And, uh, and uh, the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh was to make this world uh, indeed a, a different place. Because that was the promise that he made to our people. Throughout the, uh, throughout the prophets uh, and, uh, you know, and, and throughout Jewish history, uh, there is always a hope. And the hope is uh, indeed that the Messiah would come. The, the, uh, the, the hope is in God. And 
the great message that we have is that God has come to bring the redemption. Let us embrace the redemption that he has wrought for us. And ultimately, ultimately, we'll see that hope of, of all that God uh, 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 has promised uh, indeed uh, come to uh, pass. And so in order for that to happen, we have to rely on the promise of God. We have to rely on the presence of God and on the power uh, of God. And certainly that's our prayer as we intercede, just like Moses interceded for the people. So that's how we need to intercede for our people as, as well. Uh, uh, it's important for us to be aware, uh, to be supportive, uh, but also to intercede on behalf of our people to know Yeshua, for he is indeed the key to the whole, to the whole thing. You know, whether, so then taking that and applying it personally for all of us in our, in our lives, when it comes to being the men and women whom God has called us to be, to being uh, people created in the image of God who have been uh, recreated in the image and likeness of God, and to be a testimony of, uh, of, of, of an alternative life, an alternative lifestyle, opposed to whatever is in the world around us, but to live out this way of life, we need to see ourselves the way God called us to be, not based on our circumstances. We should not see ourselves as grasshoppers. This is impossible. There's no way I can overcome whatever. There's no way I can be whatever. There's no way, because of, of, because of the way I view the world around me, we are like grasshoppers. Forget about it, right? That is leaving God out of the picture. That is a self-understanding that is very anthrocentric, just based on circumstances, based on how I was raised, based on where I come from, based on all that stuff, right? But we know that's not who we are, just like Israel. It's not who Israel is. Uh, uh, we are a people called from God, and we must rely on the presence and the power of God uh, uh, for this to, uh, in order to see, in order to see victory, and of course via spiritual disciplines, discipleship, fellowship, uh, meeting with others, accountability, and a variety and a host of other ways, we move forward indeed in our in our lives. And you know the wonderful thing is, is that even though uh, there was a generation that died in the wilderness, God has uh, never abandoned us. And even though when we look around the world, it can be pessimistic. I mean, the world is a pessimistic place. I don't know about, I think, you're, I think that it is uh, having your uh, head in another place to, to, to look around the world and be optimistic, okay? Uh, and uh, let me suggest that maybe for many of you, when you go home today, things are pretty pessimistic. Maybe you're just looking at your own life and saying it's pessimistic. Maybe it is pessimistic. But you see, there's a difference between optimism and hope, okay? There's a difference between optimism and, and hope. Optimism is the way things look. Hope is what I know, I, in, in whom I place my trust. You know, when you look at Jewish history, it's pretty pessimistic. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's not been an optimistic uh, journey, 
uh, for thousands of years. But it has had been a journey filled with hope. Look at the prophets. Look at Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. The prophet who says, it's far fallen. All is lost. Go into exile. He was a man filled with hope. He was pessimistic about the immediate situation and what was going to take place. But he was very hopeful because he placed his trust in God. He placed his trust in God. So we are a people who may be realistic when it comes to this world, but we are a people filled with hope because our trust is in God and his promises and his presence and his power. And that is the good news that God has called us to share because his promise, his presence, and his power became manifested in the very person of Yeshua. And so as we embrace Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel, the very incarnation of God, God puts within us a hope in our heart. And so may we continue on this journey. May we not wander around aimlessly, but may we embrace the promise, may we embrace the calling, and may we look at this world and say, you know what? Regardless of my circumstances, I have hope, and I'm going to move forward in the promise of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for your promises. Thank you, Lord, that you have indeed called us as a people, and that uh, you have indeed promised deliverance for us as a people. Deliverance from enemies. That is a promise you have made. Lord, may we uh, embrace the promise in Yeshua. And thank you, Lord, that, that uh, uh, you have opened up the eyes of a remnant of, of Jews and Gentiles. You have opened up our eyes and unstopped our ears. And we have embraced you and you have given us hope. You have given us hope and have given us a, um, uh, an assurance of our own deliverance. And you have given us an assurance of our own destiny in you, Lord. But God, thank you. It's not just for ourselves, but ultimately it is for the world. But God, may we not uh, be or watch an entire generation die in the wilderness. May we not simply say, well, I'm in, but may we die to ourselves and bring a message of good news to an entire generation of people in this world who have not embraced Yeshua, who have not embraced the promise, so that they too may be able to enter into that rest. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.